Welcome to the Mindset Mashup. I'm your host, Bichelle Sorrow. I'm a TV host on Extra, lifestyle strategist, and author on gratitude. And I'm going to dig deep to bring you closer to your best life in this lively, unfiltered, and heart-centered podcast. This show is a compilation of real talks designed to help you optimize what matters most, self-love, impact, success. Tune in for inspirational guests who reveal the mindset required to bust through the BS that holds you back and then how to apply those tools to elevate your life, business, and relationships. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Mindset Mashup. I just finished my talk with my next guest, Jarek Robbins, number one best-selling author, international performance coach, and lifestyle entrepreneur, and just all around amazing human being. And I'm blown away. I'm sitting here in my living room just thinking, wow, that was a wonderful conversation. It felt intimate. I felt like I was a fly on the wall, even in my own conversation of getting inside his heart, his mind, getting tangible takeaways, concepts broken down that were super easy to apply in terms of truly getting after our full potential, passion and purpose. And it just was so beautiful. This is why I am doing this podcast. It's for conversations like this. It's for talks like this, where you feel like you're there too. And it's just real. Nothing was canned. I didn't even come in with an agenda, no outline. I just came open-minded. I thought, you know, this guy has probably been asked everything I under the sun. I want to keep it original. I want to keep it authentic. I want to flow and be in the moment with him. And so that's what I allowed myself to do. And we ended up talking about love and the way he shows up in relationship and how he had to do what he had to do to get there and where he's headed next and what lights his heart up for the 20 year vision and, and what brings him gratitude and perspective on humanity. And my goodness, you guys, this is a special one. So Oh my goodness, get ready to enjoy. I am so honored and grateful and thrilled to bring you my next guest, Jarek Robbins. Well, I am so excited about my next guest. He really needs no introduction, and I'm just so thrilled that you're here. Jarek Robbins, welcome to the Mindset Mashup. Hey, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Oh, I'm so honored to have your time and to get to have this talk together and talk about some really cool, exciting things you've got coming up, as well as get up underneath your mindset tools and techniques that I know help you get after your full potential. So thank you for being here. Of course, of course. I'm excited to be sharing. Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to go into a brief bio for those who may not know the full scope because it's so impressive and inspiring. So let me just jump right in. So Jarek Robbins, number one best-selling author. Guys, if you haven't checked out his book, Live It, it's super inspiring. He's a performance coach and lifestyle entrepreneur, and he's a man dedicated to helping people achieve success by living with purpose in life and business. At only 23 years old, Jarek was awarded the Gold Medal Congressional Award from the United States Congress. He's conducted trainings for a variety of companies and organizations, including Harvard University, the United States Marines, the United States Air Force Special Forces, BMW, Remax, UBS, Major League Baseball teams, and members of the U.S. Olympic team. He's a trusted advisor and board member to a variety of different companies. And today, 
At just 34 years old, with over a decade of performance coaching experience, he continues to unlock secrets for maximizing performance and organizational success. And guys, he's just getting started. We've got some cool stuff to talk about this hour, and I'm so happy that you're here. So once again, welcome. Of course, of course. I I can honestly say that's probably the best introduction I've ever had, almost like I wrote it myself. (laughs) Well, let's be clear. I might have had some help from your assets. But you know, why reinvent the wheel? Because you are so extraordinary. But Sal, what is it like to hear that kind of an introduction? I think it's interesting. I'll give you a couple of situations where I thought it was funny, where I didn't get that kind of introduction. One was actually speaking at Harvard. They invited me up to a leadership conference and they put me on a panel. And so we sat down in the room and the room flooded with all these students from their MBA programs and master's programs, all these courses and classes. And we sat there and I kind of shook hands with the gentleman on my right and left. And they were much older than me, clearly. And, and so they introduced the gentleman to my right, and he was the tenured Harvard professor on leadership. He's written multiple books on the subject. He's been teaching there for many, many, many years. And Professor So-and-so is here to talk about leadership. And they said, our next guest, his name is Jarek Robbins. And they paused, and they handed me the microphone and said, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? No! And I looked at them like, is this a setup? Like, am I about to get brought over here? And they and I, I like paused and like just looked at him for a second and I was like, nope, they're serious. I was like, okay. And they said, well, why don't you just go ahead and tell us what is your viewpoint on leadership real quick? And we'll start with that. You gotta be kidding. I swear to God, it happened. And and I'm sitting there, I was like, okay, no introduction. This is awesome. Uh great. Well, happy to be here. And I thought for a half second, and I was like, what would be most useful to the people listening? I was like, well, I could try to tell you stuff I've done or projects I've worked on or things we've accomplished or anything like that. And and in all honesty, I don't know what use that would be to you. That's my past. It's stuff that's behind me. And some of it's useful, but most of it's just stuff. What's relevant to you guys right now, I said, I I guess my take on leadership might be useful. And I said, if, if I said, just for what it is, however, you know, simple this sounds, the learn it, give it concept. My belief is constant, never ending improvement, constantly researching what works, applying it our own lives and living it and really getting the results and experiencing the effects of, of what's working right now at this moment of history. And then as soon as we figure it out, our, our goal as fast as possible is to test it on ourselves and our clients and our community, as long as it really holds true to immediately give it and pay it forward to other people. And I said, you know, it's just a little philosophy we live by, like learn what it takes, live it fully, apply it, get the results, and then find a way to pay it forward. That's what I got for you. And I handed the mic to the guy next to me. They, of course, had an amazing bio for him. He was the head of the United States cyber defense for the whole Air Force, which had thousands of members of his command and all this other stuff. Like, seriously, everyone else gets a cool bio? (laughs) (laughs) What happened? I don't know what happened. Whatever happened there, the next thing that happened, they said, sir, why don't you say what what your viewpoint on leadership is? And the next moment, one, my heart was racing that, you know, I I see this guy coming up with something so much more profound or insightful or useful in many years in leadership of the Air Force and thousands of people in command. And he said something that saved my butt, it felt like. But he said, you know, I, I think the young man sitting to my right just shared the best definition of leadership I've ever heard. And he's like, I have to concur with him. And then he passed it to the guy to his right. And he said the same thing. I was like, oh, like, okay, they let me in the club. They didn't kick me out in the first round. (laughs) (laughs) I just got the chills. I call them truth bumps. That is such a magical moment. Thank you for sharing that. 
And so those bios, my thought is it's useful for people to understand a little of my history, but I'm a huge fan of the concept of if I ran in the Olympics in 1984 and I got a gold medal, good for me. Can I still run that fast? Can I still deliver value? Can I still do something special for you? Because if it's just based on my, my past, it's cool. Hopefully I have some good stories, but, but if it's based on right now, I need to be able to deliver tangible, usable metrics and results and things that can be useful to your actual ears in life if you're listening to this. Uh, and that, that's hopefully where it goes from here is stuff I can actually get into their world and your world uh, that, that's useful right now and something you can take from this moment and immediately do and see something different happen in your life or business or health or relationship or whatever we talk about. Gosh, it's so true. And that's why I'm so excited to have you on because you have a new podcast that's launching, which is exactly what you're talking about. It's next. It's like 2.0, which there's probably 10.0 versions of you. Let's face it. You've got so many amazing, vibrant, dynamic chapters in your life already. But I have been obsessed with your podcast that so many of us know. Learn it, live it, give it, of course, your mantra in life. But you haven't uploaded a new episode there in what, maybe a year or so, although it's still active and I'm listening and I love it. But you've got so something new coming up. What is the name of your new podcast? So the new podcast is really simple. It's called What the World Needs More Of. And the backstory about this is I was doing Learn It, Live It, Give It, and we had Facebook Lives and blogs and vlogs and all kinds of stuff. And we still do from time to time for fun. And what I learned is people enjoy them. They love them. But I'm only reaching a very, very small group of the world. And I did a little research to try to figure out how many people are in the quote unquote personal development, self-help, life improvement arena. And as the research I could find showed about 300 million people have actively tried, applied, or have been involved with some type of self-help. And that includes weight loss. Wow. And it sounds big. But it's as opposed to 7 billion people. 7 billion people on the planet. Interesting. And so in comparison, it's a very, very small group of people. And my, I started scratching my head and saying, hey, you know, my goal really isn't to kind of keep the troops fired up. Like there's plenty of people who are amazing doing that, who are already going after and reaching and connecting with this 300 million people. And it always takes more. It always takes another, you know, another insight, another helpful tool, one comment that can change someone's life. But deep down inside, I was like, you know what? I want to start speaking to the 6.7 billion people that don't know this stuff exists, that don't know they have a choice to live their life differently, that don't know that their story is not them. They can be separate from their story. They can be separate from the moments of life that have happened to them, and they can choose to be whoever they want to be. They can have life on their terms. They can choose to make their life better. They don't have to stay in the same village they grew up in and live the same life their dad and grandpappy and uncle and aunt and cousin lived. Like They can choose to do something different if they want to, and there's steps to do that. There's ways to do it. Um, the challenge is you know, the concept of what do they need versus what do they want. The mass majority of the people want Cheetos. And not specifically Cheetos, but they want things that are flavorful and taste good and are fun and juicy and exciting. They don't want broccoli. That you know, There's a very select group of people who eat broccoli for breakfast. I'm one of them, and I know I'm different. <laughs> like, what did you say? Broccoli for breakfast? What's wrong with this kid? Like, I get it. It's a very small group of people. And I, that's why I said I want to meet and connect with and talk to the mass majority of people. And I said, you know, what if... What does a farmer in Guatemala really need in his life? He doesn't need five tips to self-improvement. Like, yeah, he wants to evolve and sure he wants a better life, but he's not working on actualizing into the highest form of his consciousness. Like that's not the goal every day. The goal is to feed his family and take care of the people he loves and hopefully provide for the community beyond himself. And 
you know, if, if you're someone who's in a village in Uganda, like the goal is to, oh, I mean, it can be as simple as this, stay alive. Like find drinking water, find food for the day um, or, or, you know, do something to really grow. I used to teach organic farming in the villages over in Uganda. And, and the goal is simple. Enjoy life, be a good citizen and, and do your best to take care of your family and, and loved ones and learn if you can and, you know, take the opportunity to soak in knowledge. So it's like, what would these people really want? And on the opposite side of the spectrum, what would some guy in Hong Kong who works on the hundred and whatever floor of some fancy building, what does he need to hear or she need to hear when they're done with their day and she just ran a multi-bazillion dollar organization and has all these meetings and all this stuff, what would cause her to feel a little bit more human in that moment? And so I thought about it in the simple concept of the podcast, uh, it's what the world needs more of focused on inspiring stories that bring to life the little and big ways people bring more love, joy, laughter, and humanness to everyday life. Our focus is the hunt for those little reminders that refuel the human soul and remind us what life is really all about. Beautiful. Oh, I can't wait. I love it. So then you know how we have to have genres in the podcast world. Would this be then considered like a lifestyle podcast? Oof, I have not looked that far. You probably do not like genres. <laughs> yeah, our team does that side of it. That would make sense because that impacts, you know, potentially anybody and everybody, no matter what, because we're, you know, that's sort of like talk show style, you know, where, and I can see it very clearly. And my gosh, okay, so does that have part of like, let's say your five or 10 year vision for what's next? Do you go out that far for yourself? I know you lead that way. Yeah, I always start with a 20 year vision. Just as a starting point, because for people to say, hey, you got to work out every day, you got to wake up and make your bed and meditate and, and do this breathing and take cold showers and eat healthy. It's like, what for? Because some expert on a podcast told me so, good for them. Like, why should I do that? Who cares? Or maybe I want their results. I want that person's gold medal, or I want to look like them or feel like them, or I'm going to have the sexy six pack abs and amazing sex, like the magazine says, if I eat broccoli every morning. I don't know. But whatever the driver behind it is, if you're just doing it because you think you're supposed to, that only goes so far and it only lasts so long. If you work backwards and say, hey, what result do I actually want long term in my life and my health, emotions, family, finances, business, whatever you're focused on, spirituality, whatever category you're focused on, and say, if that's ultimately where I want to be 20 years from now, what would halfway there look like 10 years from now? Let's map that out. Let's get real clear. This is halfway. So the, the end of the marathon is 23, what is it? 26.2 miles. The halfway there is, is what is it? 13.1? 13.1 miles. So what does 13.1 miles actually look like? Now, for a lot of people, when you have them fill out a form like this, which we do in a lot of our programs and coaching, it'll be like, hey, tell me what halfway point looks like. And they'll say, well, just more of, uh, more of exactly where I'll be in 20 years, obviously. I'm like, no, 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 no. That, the finish line and the halfway mark are totally different places. <laughs> like, you can't just tell me it's more of the same. I get it. You want to keep running the race. At the same time, you have to differentiate what the halfway point looks like and what the finish line looks like in this case for 20 years. Now, that's not the end of your life. That's just the race we're going to run right now for 20 years. And so, so based on that, what's the halfway mark? What, what's the quarter mark look like? What does five years look like from now? And it's not just more of the 10 years. It's a different place. It, it's, you know, just those first six and a half miles or six and something miles there. What does that look like? What are the tangible place results you'd have and how you'd feel and what would go on and what would your bank account look like? And what would your health and diet look like? You know, if you're going to measure the size of your biceps, how big would they be? <laughs> like, Get specific. 
Yeah. And then you work it all the way back down. What does this year have to look like to be on track for 20 years? If you're going to add it up, you have to know where you're going to be 12 months from now. What about six months from now? And all the way back down to what do you have to do today? And now if I'm going to wake up and spend 30 minutes doing some, you know, running up a hill, I know the reason I'm running up the hill is not for the 30 minutes of today or because someone told me that's a good idea. It's because if I do that every day for the next 20 years, I know exactly where I will land up 20 years from now in the process. Right. Because you have the map. Where will you be in 20 years from now? Great question. As far as my life is concerned, I'll start off with what's most important. I will be an amazing husband who's helping my wife and helping, not making, but helping my wife feel like the most loved, seen, understood, and appreciated woman on this planet. You're going to make me cry. (laughs) I want to talk about Amanda. I want to bring her on. Like, I'm just obsessed with you guys. I'm sorry. I just had to throw that in there. Anyway, I'm all for that, Jarek. I love it. Thank you. She's wonderful. She's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I don't know her personally. I'm more of a fan than a friend, obviously. But, you know, you guys just ooze true love and partnership and support and unconditional acceptance as you're traveling the world and making an impact. And she's brilliant and beautiful and in love with you. And I mean, like I said, I've never met her. I'm meeting you for the first time right now, but you can feel it. It it pulsates from the page and social media and I'm really inspired by it. So I had to get that, get that out there very early in, but thank you. Thank you. I'll throw something in here. The reason we work so well together is I found a partner who is as committed as I am to doing the work every day. And when I say doing the work, I mean realizing that there's stages to get good at anything. And number one is we were both willing to be horrible at it in the beginning with each other long enough to figure out how to be okay at it. And, and we figured out how to be okay at it. And now we figured out we were okay long enough to become good at it. And now we're still good. We're not great or excellent or the most amazing, prolific, whatever is on the world. Like we're good. And we're good at it. And every day we work at it. Every day we put in our practice. Every day we put in our reps. Every day we put in the effort it takes to hopefully become great over time. And that process, she was, when we agreed in the beginning, hey, let's just get on the same page. Do you agree that in the beginning we're both going to suck at this? And are we okay with that? And are we okay with sucking through it long enough that eventually we might become okay? And we were like, yeah. I, I like getting better at stuff. She's like, I like getting better at stuff too. I said, are we going to agree that we're going to learn about this and we're going to read about it and we're going to practice this stuff and we're going to realize that it, it's a process. And some days we're going to have royal meltdowns and not know which way up is, but we're willing to stick with each other through them long enough that we can figure it out. And I'm like, are we cool with that? I love that. How far into your relationship did you guys make those vows to one another? So this stuff is the very, very, very beginning. Right. But like how beginning, like third date, fourth date, three months. So what I had learned way back when, and I was not good at relationships before my wife, and and I'm still getting good at relationships with my wife. And the concept was I had learned to, I think the phrase the lady I learned from was sort the many, not find the one. I was not looking for the one unicorn human being that's so special and prolific and they're just perfect in every way possible bull. They don't exist in my mind. They might, but I don't believe so. So I crossed off that off the list. And I said, instead, I'm looking for someone who's willing to roll up their sleeves and put in the work. And I'm I'm looking for a partner, someone who's willing to do this together with me. 
and and I had things. Now, this was a game changer as well. Instead of going to relationship thinking like, here's what I want. I want someone who's this tall, who looks like this, who acts like this, who loves these things, who does these things, who is always up for this adventure, blah, blah, blah. And, and that's how I started. And I always found the wrong person. And it was everything I wanted. And eventually I sat down and I said, you know what? I'm doing the wrong thing. I'm looking for what I can get out of a relationship instead of what I'm showing up to try to give to the relationship. And it was a game changer. Every relationship, friendship, business relationship, what am I here to give? And, and so I sat down and I got really clear, what are my gifts? What are the things that I can bring to the table that are uniquely me? They're the things that I would give 24-7 because it's just part of my DNA and it's just who I am. What are my gifts? And now I need to get really good at sharing here are the gifts I most want to share with another human being on this planet. Are these the types of gifts you value in any way, shape, or form in your life? Because if the gift I'm trying to give is something you radically don't care about, it's probably not going to work out long-term because I'm going to keep giving this gift and you're most likely going to get annoyed by it at some point and think it's stupid and go do something else. And versus if this is the gift I want to give and, and it's the gift you most want to receive in some way, then the second question, what are the gifts you most want to give? And, and are those the things that I most want to receive in some way, shape, or form? But it always starts with what you're there to give. So, Jarek, how does someone identify or get up underneath what their best gifts to bring to a relationship could be if they've never sort of done the work or they're not into personal development and they're listening to this for the very first time? They're like, wow, that sounds so smart, right? And I want to give. How do you explore that? Well, look around. What lights you up? What are the things that, that you give all the time everywhere? Is it your laughter? Is it your jokes? Is it your presence? Is it, do you, you know, do you just live for listening to other people? Is it your awareness? Is it your caring? Is it your empathy? What is it? What is it? The thing that you're in most of the time we give this all the time everywhere, or some of us keep this hidden deep down in a little super secret lock chest with a big old padlock on it and don't ever bring it out because we just want to share it with just the right person when we finally meet them. Baby, break the lock off the damn thing and start sharing it because you're going to feel way more alive when you're sharing it everywhere and keep your eyes open for the people who really value it. Now, there's a great book to read called, I think it's called Givers and Takers by Adam Grant. It differentiates between givers, traders, and takers. If you're naturally a giver, you really need to read this book <laughs> because it's going to tell you a uh, little self-awareness here. It's going to differentiate and say, hey, if you're a giver, the two best people you can get paired up with is a trader or a giver because givers will keep giving to each other constantly. They'll give, 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 give. And if you're paired up with a giver, they'll be given to you. You'll be given to them. It'll be happy as can be. Now, if you're a giver and you get paired up with a trader, Every time you give to them, they're going to be obligated to give back to you because they trade. So that you're going to give and they're going to give and you're going to be like, hey, this is great. Look, we're both givers. And it's like, no, no, they're a trader, but hey, they'll trade with you and they'll give back to you. And you'll both have a wonderful life and give back to each other all the time. The doesn't work scenarios, if you're a trader, and it's okay, it's part of life, it's a personality type, they identified it. If you're a trader and you get paired up with another trader, that can work as long as you, one of you decides to go first, meaning someone says, okay, I'm going to just give because I love this person. They'll go, oh, I receive, no problem here. Here, I'll give something back. And you'll start giving back and forth to each other. But someone has to decide to go first each time, which means you have to initiate or they, you know, your husband or spouse or wife has to initiate. Someone has to decide. 
Now, now the worst case scenario is if you get paired up with a taker and you're a giver because you're going to keep giving and they're going to keep taking. <laughs> and they will literally take you until you have nothing left and you will feel radically burnt out and exhausted and tired and frustrated and overwhelmed and just not know what the hell happened. Except to think you need to give more. Exactly. And you'll be frustrated at yourself for not giving more. Right. Oh, what a great, great concept. I love that. So would you classify yourself and Amanda both givers? Depends on the category of life. Or maybe the day? <laughs> um, possibly the day, but mainly the category of life. When it comes to relationships, we're both givers. But I wasn't always a giver. I had to learn how to evolve, to be honest. I was just talking to a friend about this earlier, and she is very much a giver, my friend that I was talking to. And we grew up together. We've known each other since we were 13. And, and she was talking about as a giver, it's so easy to just keep giving, 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 and to feel obligated and, and be upset at yourself for the times you don't give. And she said, like, even when she goes and makes breakfast, she grew up as a middle child with a bunch of family. And, and she's like, I'm going to make this really delicious food. Oh, shoot. I know other people are going to want some too. So here, let me just make more for them. And she'd spend all morning making breakfast for everybody instead of getting stuff getting her homework done or getting other things done. And I was like, oh crap, I had the opposite experience when we first got married. Like I said, I sucked at certain things. Um, my wife would wake up and make us breakfast and she would make us breakfast. Um, on the days where I had to get up and make breakfast, I'd get up and throw my salmon and broccoli in the steamer and then walk out and she'd be like, hello, hey. <laughs> like you realize there's me too. I'm like, yeah, you, what? And I didn't, I didn't get it. And I was oblivious to the fact that in certain little categories, I wasn't necessarily taking. I just didn't know what it was to give in that category. Since I was high school, in high school, I always made myself breakfast. That was it. I threw salmon, threw two patties of salmon and you know a handful of broccoli, and then I'd walk away to the gym, come back, and it steamed, and I'd eat it. I didn't know any other habits. So when I got to some things that are simply and, and most people rolling their eyes are like, this guy's freaking dumb. Like, I get it. <laughs> I judge myself. But it's just a realization of like, hey, I sucked in that area and I need to learn how to get better. And so in that area, as much as I am a giver when it comes to being there for her and listening to her and appreciating her and acknowledging her, I wasn't a very good giver apparently of breakfast. <laughs> so <laughs> I had to learn how to get better at breakfast <laughs> and be like, shit, I'm a taker when it comes to breakfast, I guess, because I'm taking everything my wife's giving and I was never giving anything back when it was my turn. And so like, oh crap, I've got to improve. And so this is the work. This is the realization that in one micro category of our life, I need to challenge myself to step up and learn a new pattern. And my wife, this is the greatest gift in the world, which is one, lovingly helping me see that I could improve, and two, not punishing me for screwing up. This is the worst thing you can do when in a relationship it is you see the person do it wrong, and instead of lovingly help them see it and get better, we go punish the tar out of them for doing it wrong. And then, then at that point, especially men, they'll be like, screw it. I don't want anything to do with you or that. Like, back up. And, and if, if you love them through the process, which I have to give my wife mad props for, like, she's really good at that. She will love me through getting better. And she'll give me ability without punishing me to have a shot at really putting in the effort. You know, and vice versa. 
I can't think of any, but I'm sure she's had moments. You'd have to ask her that she's realized, oh crap, like I was a taker there and I need to now step up and be more of a giver in this area. And my wife is a natural giver, so I don't know how many moments she's had like that, but she's human. So I'm sure she has at least a few. How did you guys meet? It was the area we thought we would never meet anyone. As a matter of fact, we hit a moment where I hit a moment before where I had decided I wanted to find someone to spend my life with. I I was done dating just hot chicks or or (laughs) good looking people. (laughs) But let's face it, your wife is very hot. But anyway. She's smoking hot. She hit me last. The first time I said this out loud, I was like, I used to date Playboy bunnies and strippers and all this other shit. And, And then I found my wife and she'd be like, hey. Come on. Like, why do they sound so hot? And I like, what am I? A freaking like, you know, flat consolation prize? I'm like, am I like a farmer from freaking wearing flannels or some shit? Like, what's wrong with me? And I was laughing. I'm like, oh, no, no, it's just different. Like, guys get it. And girls all like, we're like, mm, I'd kill them. So, <laughs> yes, my wife is smoking hot. And at the same time, that wasn't what I was looking for at this time. So, long story short, my neighbors were having a raging party in San Diego. I don't party. I don't drink. I think I have twice in my life. One ended interestingly. The other one ended in seven days in the hospital. So not my thing. I figured the only reason people drink is to get the cool story. I've gotten both stories. So I'm like, screw it. I don't need this in my life. And and I work so hard on my health. There's no point in putting crap in my body that destroys everything I'm working to build. This is my thoughts. So they invited me over to the party. I'm like, nah, it's okay. It was a, They had a pre-4th of July party, a 4th of July party, and a post-4th of July party all planned. And so this was the pre-4th of July party on their roof. They had a DJ. My neighbor, he is does real estate investment. And his wife, Molly, who introduced us, at the time, she was in charge of Milner's Beer promo models and managing her whole team of all these girls. And so every day, their garage would go up and down. And I'd always look out my balcony to see what's going on. And there would be some half-dressed woman who's smoking hot, loading a bunch of beer in her trunk, and then driving away. And so I used to text them every day and be like, do you have like a 3D printer of hot women in your garage? Like what in the world is going on over there? This is weird. And they'd be like, oh no, it's my, she'd text me back. Oh no, it's my girls. They just have a job. They have a gig. And, and so they're like, come over. There'll be plenty of people. And so she invited all her girlfriends over. I'm like, well, if I go over there, like there's a lot of eye candy. I'm sure it'll be entertaining, but I'm not going to find my wife there. Like this isn't where she's going to be in my heart. I, that's not what I was looking for. And, and a lot of fun, but not not long-term fun of, of what I really wanted. And so I went over there, took a protein shake, stood in the corner, talked to a handful of great people that were there, all wonderful humans. And then lo and behold, my wife, she had a similar feeling. She's like, I'm going to stop by. I'm going to say hi to, to my neighbor, Scott. He, they went to school together at Michigan State. And I'm going to stop by for five minutes, say hi, and then get out of there because it's going to be a mess. I was standing there in the corner. She walked in. When she walked in, my neighbor, Molly, grabbed her and... I didn't know this till later, but she said, girl, put a smile on your face. I'm about to change your life. She dragged her across the party. She shoved her into me. And she said, here's the introduction. Jarek, this is Amanda. She loves to travel. She volunteers with Make-A-Wish and she used to live in Asia somewhere. Amanda, this is Jarek. He loves to travel. He, he used to live in Uganda and Africa somewhere. And he, he loves to volunteer too. Anyways, have fun, you two. And she walked away. And so we're there staring at each other. So like, so uh, you travel, huh? Like, where do you, uh, where do you go? Now, hate to say it, but most people in San Diego, uh, when they say they travel, they go to like Tijuana and uh, Vegas and, and Cabo, L- LA. They go to LA. 
Like lots of traveling. <laughs> and I don't hold it against them. I'm just saying that's what you hear a lot of. And, and you know, maybe, maybe Colorado in the winter if they're fancy, but like that, that's all you hear. And, and so when she was like, oh yeah, I, I, I you know, taught English in um, uh, Korea for a few years. And then I, I did my, I was working on my MBA over in, in China. And then I did business school in, in Thailand and my jaw was on the ground. I was like, who is this human? Like, are you real? And then she's like, oh yeah, I volunteer with Make-A-Wish. And then I also, you know, volunteer with this other group. And then I did this other thing. And I was like, no way. She's like, what about you? And I was like, oh, I, I lived on a cruise ship for three months and circumnavigated the globe. Then I, I lived, lived in the villages in Uganda. I was teaching organic farming and English to all the, the schools there. She's like, really? And literally four and a half hours went by and we were in a little bubble, just staring at each other, all googly eyed, just talking. And, and it was amazing. Like we disappeared in this little bubble with each other. And after about four and a half hours, I started to feel hungry. And at least at this point in my life, I was a little better of awareness. So I was like, if I'm hungry, that means probably she's hungry. Oh, shoot. So I, you know, we went on our first date and I asked her, I said, you know, would you like to go get some tacos? And someone told me a long time ago, never go on your first date by yourself because you won't be yourself. You'll act like who you think you need to be in order to attract the person or, or, or win them over. And so one of my other friends was there and this guy always liked to eat and he's really silly. So I hit him. I'm like, Hey, you want to go get tacos? He's like, yeah, bro, let's go. And so the three of us went and got tacos. And so we sat there and goofed around and, and we were just totally hanging back and chilling and just being silly. And I actually have a picture cause my friend's really goofy and he took a picture of her on his phone. And we had this app we were playing with at the time where you put mustaches on people. And so he took a picture and he put a mustache on her. And he showed it to me and he said, hey, do you still think she's cute? And I started laughing. I'm like, yeah, she's pretty cute, even with a big old mustache. And so from this day, I, I still have a picture of her on my phone with a mustache on. And she had no clue what we were doing. She thought we were just taking a picture of her. And so she's like, oh, great. It, it, so it's silly. Now, she has a different opinion of our first date, though, which you'll have to ask her about because she didn't think that was our first date. Her, fir- her thought of our first date was the first time we were alone. And we went sailing. And my thought of our first date was when we first decided to go on a date. And I brought a friend with me to make sure that, that I was acting like myself instead of trying to be some person I thought that would impress her or present to her in some way. I love that. And I love the fact that at the end of the day, what happened for both of you was that you just went in open-minded and you just stayed present and you guys allowed yourself to flow. And then for you, you were conscious of wanting to show up as your true authentic self. And um, you're able to connect with her in a way that, again, she didn't fit the image, right? The, The mental image, but she fit your heart and your soul recognized her. And it's, oh my God, thank you for sharing that story. It's very inspiring. I knew there was magic there from the moment that you met. I knew it. And I had never heard that story, but I'm, I'm very inspired by it, especially me because I'm recently single and I've had people say, hey, you should come to such and such happy hour and I don't drink at all. And I'm like, why would I go to a happy hour? Even a place that I might have used to go to, my guy's not there. But it just goes to show that he could be anywhere, right? It, it could happen at any moment that I say yes to life. That's right. And what's interesting, I think the program I listened to was In Sync with the Opposite Sex. I'm having Allison on next week. I'm obsessed with Allison Armstrong. There you go. And the thing she shares is voicing exactly what it is that you want to share and what you're looking for. And if you want to get married and have a white picket fence with three dogs and two perfect kids and blah, 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 like say that the moment you meet them. <laughs> and and it, it, for people like the moment, like they're going to think I'm psycho and trying to like reel them. Like, no. 
The goal is to weed them out if they're not interested in that. And don't you love what she says, the reason why people don't? Do you remember that? Yeah, because they're scared that they might scare them away. And she always laughs and she goes, well, why would you stay with someone who would never want to give you what you want only to find out many years later? (laughs) Right. Or a year later or whatever it is. But she's, I love how she says, well, I can't say that. What if he's the one? And she was like, if he's the one, he has to hear it. Nothing will scare him away. You know, and I I just love Allison so much as I'm loving this conversation right now. Okay, so going back to the 20-year vision, and I love how you started this with, well, let me break it down for my life first, and then my life is starting with my wife. So really meeting the needs and helping your wife, Amanda, you know, get after all that she's dreaming about. And what else is in this 20-year vision? So if I started from there, I I would say my wife is number one. Second, you know, what my health and and fitness is going to look like. I always say... And, and, you know, I'm in process right now working towards the last time I set this. And so mine says at 50 years old, I'm healthier and stronger than the majority of 20 year olds in the world. Um, emotionally, I'm passionate about my life, living on mission, enjoying every moment life has to offer. My wife and I are passionately in love. And, and every day our love is growing deeper and deeper. And we're sharing with each other constantly. And then we go into our business visions. We have you know 10 plus companies that are making over $100 million a year in revenue in profit each year through, through our investments, annual returns. We're making you know our own personal income goals of what, where we're headed at that point in our life. And, and then we're, we're taking that. And the 20 year vision is to be able to have schools that help educate over 10,000 children per month and and hospital, which helps at least a thousand people per month in, in life-saving opportunities there. You know, I had a bout of malaria, a few bouts of malaria when I was living in Uganda and I experienced a rural hospital and it's tough. Like they asked me when I was leaving, if I could leave some painkillers behind for the women who are, who are going to have a baby. And they're like, and I was like, dude, I don't have any like morphine or anything like that. They're like, no, no, no. Like Advil will help Tylenol. And I was like, are you shitting me? You get a woman having a baby, you're like, here, take an aspirin. Like, what in the world? And and anything helps at that point. And I was like, holy crap, like I need I could help. <laughs> like, um, you know, and, and then I remember sitting with a lady on the plane back. She was a volunteer from Canada who goes there every year and volunteers at the orphanage. And she goes, Yeah, at the orphanage, you know, it cost at that time, probably a little over 10 years ago, it costs about two dollars for malaria medication. But every day little babies in the in the orphanage would die because of malaria because they couldn't afford as an orphanage they couldn't afford the extra medicine i was like oh and and so you know to me i used to be on the board of a nonprofit that ran a hospital over in uganda and it cost 1600 dollars a month to have a full-time medical doctor on staff and so i was like okay you know in the next 20 years i want to build a hospital i want to staff the hospital and i want to be funding this hospital so they can provide care to you know wherever region we put it in and, and provide it for free if possible and take care of people who really need that help. Beautiful. What the world needs more of. Beautiful. I love that vision. Thank you for sharing that with me. You know, it's very clear that you have a philanthropic heart and that you are so full of passion and truly making a measured difference in the lives of others. As I listen to, you know, so many of your podcasts from, or your episodes from Learn It, Live It, Give It podcast, I love how you would break it down in these little snippets of being in conversations with potential clients or even 
working with clients or certain audiences and really getting up underneath how do you measure where you're going to go, which is exactly where you started in this conversation. 20 years, 10 years, marathon, half marathon, what are you doing today? To fuel that vision. But I also know that at the base of everything that at least I see you do um, as I stalk you everywhere, gratitude is massive for you. And I just want to talk about your mindset around gratitude and how you're able, what does that look like on a daily basis for you? Gratitude's an interesting thing. It, it's definitely a catchphrase right now. It's definitely a pop word that, that everyone's so hyped up on. And there's a lot of research that shows it can literally improve your overall happiness and satisfaction with life. Meaning the research, I think it's from Harvard. It, it, it says if you were to write down three things you're grateful for each day for 30 days in a journal, literally at the end of 30 days, your overall happiness and satisfaction of life will improve, meaning you will be happier in your life just by doing that simple little task. So it's proven that it'll help you have a better life. Now, the flip side of it, and this is something its something I work on with, if you're going to help someone achieve something, if you're going to measure it, if you're going to look at it, I, I always you know, draw this little chart. And if you look at a little graph, and in the bottom left-hand corner, it's kind of us, our starting point in the bottom of the graph. And, you know, uh, across the bottom of the graph, I throw an X and I just draw a line from where we are now all the way over to the X, just straight across the bottom. And I just call this average. And so we look at it and I'm like, this is an average life. And so let's qualify what does average mean? If we're in the US, average, most people, what's the average income? You know, I don't know, 30,000 30, a year, 40,000 a year. What's the average health like in the US? Well, we're in an epidemic right now. <laughs> it's not that great. <laughs> Most people aren't quite thriving in the health category. So that's not that great. Uh, what about relationships? Well, the average person, uh, luckily, the divorce rate is slightly going down, but it's almost 50%. So it's upwards in that area. So the average, the normal is right in there. It doesn't work out in relationships. What about, what about you know, the average person in their family? I mean... Yeah. <laughs> Everyone has their own experience, but from my experience, families are crazy. Like, <laughs> so you look at the average experience of life and it's called average because most people experience it. And you're like, well, is that your big 20 year vision? And most people are like, no, that's not what I want. And like, well, tell me what you want. Like, what do you want 20 years from now? And, and when most people sit down and they describe what they want 20 years from now, now, if we drew a line from the bottom left all the way up to the top right corner, so this constant growth curve we're looking at on, on a chart, we put Y up there. Now, Y, this one might piss a few, few people off, but I'll explain. Y would be considered the 1%. Now, when we hear the 1%, because of the media, in this country at least, we've had so many people be like, oh, grow. no, I don't want to be the 1%. Oh, there are these evil money-grubbing bankers that steal from the rest of us. And you're like, really? Let's qualify this. You're telling me that in no ounce of your body, like there's no part of you that wants to be the 1% of humans that have the best relationship in this country. No interest. The 1% of people that give more to their community than anybody else. The 1% of people who have a better love life than anybody else. 1% of people who are more connected to their church and community than anybody else. The 1% of people who have, you know, who are the most qualified or, or attempting to be the best parents in, in the community. Come on. Of course you want to be the 1% in different categories. You just don't want to be the, the evil picture that the media has portrayed as this 1% concept. So even in money, though. You know, imagine if you were the 1% of income earners in your community, how much more could you give to your church? How much more could you give to your community? How much more could you support the, the people who really need it? Come on. 
And, and so this concept of the 1%, but here's where we got to get down to. If those are the types of goals, like the family vacations and the nice house and, you know, being able to care for and give to the ones you love and, and not have to worry about all these things. And if that's kind of the goals most people have when they set this 20 year vision, and the truth is most people don't set those kind of goals. I've seen these vision boards. They're setting goals that are like the 0.001%, to be honest. Like if you look at vision boards, it's got like jets and cars and houses and all kinds of stuff on there. That is not the 1%. Like the 1% is 400 grand a year. The, the, they're looking at the 0.001% and trying to ball out like Jay-Z and Beyonce over here. And this is like the 0.001% of humans on this earth who will ever experience something like that. And that's what they're putting on their vision board. So if that's what they're looking for, then the question is, what are the habits they have? Now, if we map out the habits, the things they're doing every day, what do they actually add up to? And I'll tell you, this is a distinction someone gave to me. The average habits will never add up to the 1% results. And it's kind of like a, dang it. <laughs> you mean if I sleep till noon every day, like uh, I'm not going to get there? They're like, no, it doesn't add up. Like you, you gotta, and, and where do you find these habits? Go to those podcasts, go to Tim Ferriss and all these guys who talk about, you know, the top achieving humans on earth and all these categories. Now, my belief is every human being you meet, and I used to say every human being is either a warning or an example, but it caused division. And I don't like that. I'm not here to judge people. And, and, and I like unity. I like connectedness. So I learned every single person you meet is a warning and an example. In some area of their life, they're a warning of what not to do. And in some area of their life, they're a beautiful example of what to do. Again, I'm not here to judge. I'm here to learn and hopefully share in some way. So as I learn about them, I need to figure out where in this life is this person a beautiful example and how can I learn that from them to you know, better equip myself on the journey to get to our goals. Now, here's the other piece. If you're looking at this whole thing and, and you're thinking, well, crap, I've got average habits and I've, I've got to work on figuring out what these high performance habits are to get to these results that I really want so I can have the lifestyle and give back and do all these crazy, amazing things. I'll, I'll tell you this. If you're listening to this podcast on some type of device, computer, phone, internet, whatever, you got to step back and look at the entire picture and realize you are the 1% of the planet. Meaning, if you have access to 10 bucks in your bank account, you have more resources than probably two quarters or three quarters of the planet in that moment. Because most people live on $2 a day. Most, the majority. And, and so there's a secondary realization, which doesn't mean you don't go for more. Screw it. Go for as much as you can because it gives you the ability. And, and money only amplifies whatever, whatever it is you're made of. If you're a giver and you get more money, you're going to give a whole lot more. If you're a provider, if you're a lover, if you're a caretaker, if you're someone who's got a big heart and you're going to do good with it, you will do better and do more and, and help more and give more and be more by having more fuel in your tank. Why not? Um, and if you're a big ass taker, you get more money, you're going to find a way to take from more people. So <laughs> it's what it is. And I'm not here to judge. I'm just saying, hey, that all it's going to do is amplify your efforts in whatever you're after. And so this concept is one, realizing you're already blessed. Even if you're only making, you know, government assistance, 18 grand a year, that's still more than the $900 a year the average human on this planet has. Like you're way ahead, way ahead. And I, you know, when I got back from living in a village in Uganda, no running water, no electricity, no toilets, I remember being angry at homeless people. Be like, you don't know how good you have it. <laughs> now I learned over time that didn't help anybody. <laughs> like, 
you know, I had to get over that and be like, okay, how can I, how can I love on them? How can I do something? And, and exactly. So my, my cousins and I used to take our little meal card from college and we'd go to the shop at the end of the year and use all our meals to put little lunch bags together and drive around and just hand them out to people and just love on the community. Um, but, but I was frustrated because even if you're homeless in the U.S., the amount of resources available, like you don't know how good they are. Like having a homeless shelter you can go sleep at, having a drinking fountain in a public park that you can drink water that won't kill you is mind boggling. Oh, I, I live in Santa Monica where it's pretty much the capital and I have served the homeless as a volunteer for over three years at an organization called Chrysalis. It's a nonprofit for the homeless and low income. But And I let them sleep in my carport. I mean, I'm just, you know, I'll support as much as I can and try to help them as well. But many of them sleep on the bluffs in Santa Monica where I live and they have a $10 million view. They've got the Pacific Ocean. They've got 80 degrees year round. And so, yes, there is a wonderful perspective if we look at it that way. And they've always got cash hand. And that's amazing. Like in, in, when I lived in Uganda, you could walk a quarter mile to get to the water pump that's coming out of a well. They would pump it into your bottle. You'd have to walk your water all the way back and then you'd have to boil it and then let it cool just to have a sip of water and pray a mosquito didn't hit it before it hit your mouth. And now you've got some kind of awesome experience in your stomach for the next week. Jeez, I know. It's amazing. You speak about the habits of the 1% and that those habits will get you to or not get you to the results of the 1%. What are some of your habits? You've, you've obviously identified a few. You have a clean diet. I, at least I read on your wife's uh, Instagram, you guys have a morning gratitude walk. But what else, if you had to break that down, would you say are part of your habits on a daily Sure. So, so little stuff and, and the way to identify habits that work. And, and I think everyone has to go through this process. It's just stages of life. Like when you leave home at 18 years old, most of us leave home and think we know everything. <laughs> We're like, yeah, 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 I got it. I got it. I know everything. Mom, leave me alone. I know everything. Dad, leave me alone. You go into life, life smacks you upside the head and you come back going, oh crap, I didn't know everything. <laughs> and then the, the first step is you got to figure it out. How do you pay your bills? How do you make how do you make a living? How do you enjoy life? How do you be happy? How do you, how do you connect with people? How do you make friends? Like you got to figure out what works. And so this very first thing is you got to figure out what works. Best way to do it, read books, listen to tapes, listen to podcasts, pay attention, pay attention and find people who have experienced what you want and just ask them, what did you do to get there? Like what, what were your habits? What were your routines that added up? Now here's what's fun. There, there's another group of people that are like, dude, I'm creative, I'm artistic, I'm not a carbon copy of anyone else. Bullshit, I don't want to have to copy other people, I'm going to create my own way. Trust me, I love art, but it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense to be like, I'm no sellout, I'm not going to ride a pre-made, already designed bicycle uh, you know, across town, screw it. I'm going to build my own bicycle from scratch without any blueprints or plans, and as soon as I figure it out, then I'm going to ride across town and go to work. Are you joking? There's a reason. It's already made. Use it. <laughs> like Someone spent decades figuring this shit out. <laughs> Use their life experience. Save yourself the 50 years of headaches. Use the results that are there. And once you get good at using what's there, then customize it. Now adjust it. Now tweak it to be your own unique twist or style or flavor or way of going about it. And at that point, you know not only what works, but what works for you. That now, in, once you figure out what works for you, the next stage is how do you automate it? 
How do you make it unconscious competence that you do it every day without having to think about it? And this is routine. If you look at habits, there's a great book called The Power of Habit. Breaks it down into three parts. You need a trigger, something that sets it off. You need a routine, how you go about it. And you need a reward to reward your nervous system with pleasure and say, hey, good job. Do it again. And, and you got to build in those habits consciously on purpose. Build one at a time and keep doing it until it's part of who you are. Now, speaking of routines and habits, here's some of the ones that have helped me really, truly over time. The first one I've been doing since I was 14 years old, so 20, 20 years now, <laughs> which blows my mind, but for 20 years, every morning, I've gotten up in the morning and, and done a morning routine. And you know, at, when I was in high school, I was outside at 5.30 in the morning before football practice, running around my neighborhood in my mind saying, what am I grateful for? And after I got done with three minutes of gratitude, I did three minutes of future envision planning. What is my future going to look like? Now, of course, the vision has adjusted over the years, but I've always been thinking, what am I excited about in the future? What things, what moments, what special opportunities or situations am I very excited about for the future? So what am I grateful for? What am I excited about? And then, and then the third one, um, you know, who am I going to be today? How am I going to choose to show up in this world today? And then I would mentally rehearse it. I, I learned from sports at a young age, mental rehearsal. So I, I would sit there and I, in my mind, I would see the day happening. I'd see myself getting the football practice. I'd see myself lifting weights. I'd see myself going to class. I'd see myself you know, having these great conversations at lunchtime. I'd see myself going to class and then having afternoon practice and then coming home and working on my homework. And I'd see myself doing it well and enjoying the process. And then I'd go do it. I'd open my eyes and go make it happen. And, and that process has evolved. Nowadays, we wake up and first meditate. You know, then we, then we spend time after we meditate reviewing our future vision and getting it in our mind. So I believe clean the slate, empty out any thoughts or feelings, then flood it with all the things you want to be focused on consciously and, and you know, subconsciously. Then we go work out. And depending on where we are in the world, when we were in San Diego, my wife and I would have a gratitude walk. So we'd go on you know, a three-mile walk together and share everything we're grateful for about each other out loud with each other. Then we talk about everything we're excited about in the future that we're going to do together and share together. And then, you know, we'd hit the gym afterwards, the, you know, where we are now in Miami beach. So now we, we, we don't have that same walk. It's different. I go straight down to the gym after reading my, my future vision. And then after I'm done lifting weights and, and running and working out, then I come back upstairs and then we share with each other. So it, it adjusts, but the elements are all there. It's just the order changes depending on where we are and what the circumstance is. Totally. Now, speaking of where you are, I'm looking at some of the things on Instagram. You guys travel the world. I mean, clearly this was a passion for both of you before you met, and it's what aligned you in amongst many other qualities when you first met Amanda. But can you help me understand why you, it looks like you proposed to her in six different countries. <laughs> You're on one knee. I've got to understand this. I love it. I did semester at sea when I was in college, which is a full semester on a cruise ship going all the way around the globe. So we started off in Vancouver and we went to Tokyo and China and Hong Kong and Vietnam and India and where else? Vietnam, India, Thailand. We went to Tanzania, South Africa, Brazil, Venezuela, back up to Florida, all in 110 days. And, and so that is very near and dear to my heart. It changed my entire perspective on life and it, it introduced me to the majority of the world as we went from country to country and situation to situation and learned how most people go about life. And it was very different than when I grew up. And, and so it was interesting. It opened my mind and, and it you know, opened my heart and said, wow, if this is what most people are going through. I need to go help. 
I can't just sit here and act like everything's perfect. And, and so I, I started helping and volunteering and getting more involved. And throughout that process, though, later, um, we partnered with that organization and we used to teach on the in-between voyages where they'd invite back past voyagers and other people to come on board and learn, uh, but, but not, a, not a school curriculum, just a life curriculum. And so that was a trip where we did, I think it was seven countries in 15 days all throughout Europe. We actually got engaged in the very first country. And so I asked her on top of the Mount Tibidabo in Barcelona to marry me. And she said yes. And it was the day before the voyage started. So when we got on that voyage, she was glowing. And everyone was like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And they're like, oh, look at the ring. And everyone was so excited and amped up. And then I, I thought, what would make a really fun memory of this trip? Besides all the stuff we do on the trip and all our students who are with us and all the fun we have. And we volunteer in countries and do all kinds of stuff. But I said, what would make it fun? And just a really unique memory. And so I decided in each country, that we came to, I, I was literally going to ask her to marry me again and surprise her each time. And, and we would capture and get a good picture of it. And so we have a picture in all seven of, of those countries. And it, it's me somewhere that would be memorable in that moment, asking her to marry me again. And, and so the, the first question a lot of women have had is, were there seven rings? I'm like, no, there's one ring, <laughs> but there's seven moments. And those moments were very special. And so we have those pictures all up over our house in Tampa. And it's just pictures of us around the world, you know, sharing our love. I love that. I love that. Well, congratulations to you because I understand you just celebrated your sixth wedding anniversary. You can tell this is part Amanda <laughs> of this this talk, but I just I'm very inspired by the love and I know Almost every single person that I talk to, what matters most to them is they really want to optimize the quality of their personal relationships, whether that starts with their significant other, their dream of meeting and connecting with their significant other, or their family members and loved ones. And so I didn't know where this conversation would go, but it's just such a beautiful highlight, I think, of your heart and really who you are as a man in this world, so full of that purpose. And I know you've got so many other things that are going on and that you're excited about. But this for me has become such a pillar as to why I am just so grateful to have you here and for you to share with my listeners because mindset is so key, right? And there's so many other ways to get up underneath mindset, right? We've got to eat well and exercise and we've got to have our spiritual connection. But this mindset, it's like it allows us to get access to some of that intuition, some of what our heart is really longing for or where we could be lured to if we were just to open up and quiet our mind. And so what I love about this is that I quieted my own mind and I just allowed this conversation to flow. And I feel like I got some of the most precious gems, Jarek. I feel like you really inspired me, which I know will impact the thousands that listen on even if anything, how to be an amazing spouse and just be willing and humble enough to take on a beginner's mindset and just to be so fully self-aware to say, listen, I'm not going to have it figured out, but I vow to grow and to grow with you and to do it lovingly. So I thank you for that really from the bottom of my heart. Of course, of course, of course. It's a pleasure to be able to share. Well, so it's just in summary, you know, you talked about, you know, modeling habits or getting inspired by habits, but then fine tuning and refining to your own heart's desire or what you feel like is really, you know, your purpose. I have 
a question for you because I run many masterminds with large groups of people and I've got this mastermind, uh, excuse me, the podcast going. There are so many people that get triggered by the word purpose because so many people haven't figure that out. And so I realize it can be one of those things that works for us and against us, depending on our mindset around it. But I know you are a man who truly helps, you know, millions of people optimize their purpose. What do you say to those who haven't figured that out or feel like they're failing in life because they don't know what their purpose is? So purpose is such an interesting piece. Again, I think it's a buzzword. I think it came up with, I forget. Purpose-driven life, right? Yeah. And, and, and so the, to start with this, start with this. So everything in life has a purpose, right? Um, the bees, you know, pollinate the flowers, the flowers provide the pollen, the bees move the pollen from place to place, the seeds. Um, even if you look at seeds, some seeds in, in, in cucumbers or, or certain fruits, like you eat the seed and you swallow the seed. The seed is built with a protective layer that means it will not be digested, which means us mammals are going to carry it around and poop it out somewhere, and then it's going to replant itself and prolong its species. Like The ecosystem is working, and it all has a purpose. So if you wake up in the morning, and you take a breath, and you're still alive, there's a reason you're here. Um, now, I hate to say this. It's going to sound blunt, but the moment you no longer serve a purpose in the ecosystem, you'll be eliminated. That's just how the ecosystem works. Because if it's not needed and it's not doing anything, look at a branch of a tree. When it stops giving fruit, it dies and falls off and disappears and regenerates. And, and even then it has a purpose because it becomes part of the fertilizer that creates the grass for the next animal to eat, which the lion is going to eat the antelope and food and systems and all kinds of stuff. Like the system works perfectly. And, and so that that whole, even though it's chaos, there's there's beautiful flow to the chaos where it's all in motion and it's all piecing together and one piece is helping the other. So realize if you're still breathing and alive, there's a reason. Now discovering what the reason is, I think we might spend too much time on this. What I've learned is step back and figure out if you're looking for a purpose as far as what your purpose can be in your profession or an opportunity, two things to look for. What do you really love to do? Meaning what types of things do you participate in where you disappear, time disappears and nothing else matters? meaning you fall in love with a moment. And, and all of a sudden you just get lost. And they call this a flow state. They call this in the zone, but you just disappear into the moment. Like, what are those things? The second piece is, what are you actually talented at? Because there's a lot of stuff we might love. Like someone might love singing in the shower, but when we look at talent, like it doesn't match up. <laughs> I'd qualify as one of those humans. Like I enjoy singing. It doesn't match up and qualify as talent. It's just a lot of effort of some wonky sounds coming out of my body. And so if you look at it and you say, okay, what do you love and what are you actually good at? And if we mix these together, we start to th see things that generally you'd be passionate about. And to be passionate about it doesn't mean it's your passion. It means it's something you're passionate about. Like, okay, great. Do more of those things. You can be multi-passionate, right? Yeah, the types of things that when you're done doing it, you have more energy than when you started. And you're like, wow, that fueled me. I feel more alive in the process of doing that. Now, if you're one of those people who's trying to take your passion and turn it into your business, because that's what Gary Vaynerchuk says, uh, good for you. Let me tell you, there's two other circles you can kind of Venn diagram overlap that, that'll help you figure out where, where to overlap them. First, before you do this, 
Go back to the list of things you love. Take a highlighter. Highlight the ones that are absolutely sacred and just for you. Because these ones never turn a business around it because they're your sacred things. They're your special places. Do not fuck with those and let them turn into a business where you try to monetize that to anybody else just because you love it. They're yours. Now, the rest of the stuff on the list that you love and the stuff that also qualifies as something you're talented at, go to a third list. What do people want? So remember, people want Cheetos. They don't want broccoli. They need broccoli, but they want Cheetos. So, so what do they want? Not what they need, what do they want? And then the third, what are they willing to pay for? And when you overlap all four of these, what you love to do, minus out the sacred stuff, but what you love to do, what you're actually talented at, what people want, not what they need, but what they want, and what they're willing to pay for. Out of those four lists combined, you should get about three to five options that would qualify as something you could do that you'd be very passionate about and could turn it into an opportune business for yourself. I love it. And that is an amazing perspective on how to take ourselves off the hook for those who are stressed by, let's say, you know, you've got a PhD and you're a scientist and you're feeling like it's not your purpose because it's, there's no passion in it for that person. And so just constantly plagued with this idea that their life, in fact, now has no meaning and not looking at, well, wait a second, what am I doing in other places in my life that fuel my passion? You know, because I think that people get caught up in does passion mean and purpose equal how to monetize it for a livelihood? Do you understand the, the, the difference? And, and that, that sort of mental struggle that I think so many people have that they think their purpose has to somehow be tied into their livelihood. Do you feel that that is the truth? No. No, me neither. I think it's an amazing opportunity at this point in history that people have the opportunity to choose that. But we've also lived generationally, many, many generations in this country now, or, or a handful of generations, where we don't know what a tough time looks like as a country. And so you got to rewind and look back and remember, like nowadays we're like, oh, I don't love doing this. So it's maybe not my passion and I should just quit and go try something else. There were times in history where grown men who are fully educated and, and hardworking humans, would wait in line all day so that at five o'clock, someone would say, hey, I've got uh, two hours of work for you if you want it. And, you, and you'd go get on the truck and go wherever it could and give two hours of work to make enough money to go buy a loaf of bread and take it home to try to feed your kids. And that was a privilege. It was a privilege to be able to put in a couple hours of work somewhere. It, it was an opportunity to get to work. And at this point in history, we're at a place where there's abundance and we've been there for a very long time and people oh, I don't like it, so I'm going to quit and do something else. That's awesome. It's beautiful that we have the option. But going back to gratitude, stepping back and going, wow, you know, my great-great-grandparents didn't have that option. That was not a thing they could choose. If, if there was work available, you took it with a smile on your face and worked your face off just for the opportunity to take care of the ones you love. And you know, what, what's beautiful is there's people around the world who, who value every opportunity to work like that. In this country here at this moment, there's some people who value it like that. And there's many people who, you know, that they're so they they're past that. There's abundance. So therefore now they're trying to to evolve and they're trying to do things that they love and only do things that feel good and do things that make them feel happy. That's awesome. All those things are wonderful. And if we're in such an abundant place in, in history, it's beautiful that we get that opportunity. But I would say make sure every day to wake up and kiss the ground and go, thank goodness this is a choice right now. And I say right now because it doesn't mean it's always going to be. There can be times in the future where that changes and 
many of us are standing in line waiting for the opportunity to put in a few hours work just to feed our families again. Oh, it's so true. And that perspective is just beautiful. And it goes back to that morning routine. I do the same. I don't get out of bed, much less touch my phone. It's across the room in a drawer and I put it to bed every night. And before I let my feet hit the floor, I flood myself with gratitude of just every little tiny thing, including I didn't have to wake up to an alarm clock. Like that's simple. And just I'm fully aware that that's today. It might change tomorrow. And so I'm so grateful for today and what else can I do, you know, to serve, to give back, to make an impact. And part of that is being here and really helping people get after their fulfillment by bringing amazing guests like you that come on. You're living it. You learned it. You're living it. You're giving it. And I'm excited for the new podcast. Two more questions. When does your new podcast launch? We don't have an exact date yet. Should be within probably the next 30 days or less. We're about 18 episodes in. We're going to record the first 30. And once they're all ready, then we're going to decide what the pace of the show is going to be. I'd love a daily show. And I don't want to kill our team in the process of that because they're already so busy. So <laughs> it might be a three times a week show for now. And at least we'll have the first you know, 10 weeks covered to start with. But we're going to figure that out as we get closer to the final 30 being or the first 30 being captured. Well, awesome. I am so looking forward to this podcast because I'm obsessed with the podcast that's still up. And uh, and by the way, guys, if you haven't checked that out, you can. It is so juicy, so yummy, so inspiring and fun. Learn it, live it, give it. And so for anyone listening in real time, this is Monday, August 6th. So hopefully, you know, around 30 days from now, you'll be able to check out what the world needs more of. Actually, uh, two more questions. So for people that are looking to hire you, to, I mean, what does your life look like in terms of, I see that you're a performance coach, lifestyle entrepreneur, you got so many things going on. Like can, you're available for keynotes, private coaching. What does it look like and how do we reach you? Sure. Easiest way to find me. I mean, if you can spell jerickrobbins.com where there's a link in the show notes here, go there. <laughs> if you can't figure that out, just Google Jarek Robbins, the best of your ability, and Google will sort me out and send me to you. Uh, there's only one of me, so it'll find me. It knows me well. We're good friends. And so click on our website, come and check it out. And there's free gifts there. There's tons of free blogs and content. I mean, we spent a few years where every week we made a video training, we made a worksheet that went with it, and then we, we posted it as a blog. And so there's hundreds and hundreds of, of free trainings on there that you can do from how to update your money mindset to how to build your peer group to how to all kinds of stuff. Check out our website. Find me on, on Instagram. I share daily there. So we every day, we have a really simple mission. It, it's to reach the person that needs us most at the moment they need it with the message they need. We don't know who they are, where they are, what they need, but our goal every day is to push out content in every direction and hopefully it'll land right smack when they need it most right in front of them and, and get them just what they needed in that moment. 100% true. And your your Instagram feed is one of my all-time favorites, probably in my top five. It's so simple, so easy. I get it. I nod. Sometimes I tear up and celebrate. Wow, yes. Like I just love it. So thank you for giving back in the way that you do, not only on that feed, but also on your website with so much value. And then my final question, because this really is about just how to just have another access to more fulfillment in life. Seems everyone I know is looking for more of that. How do you define it? Fulfillment is that moment. And, and my dad taught me this when I was young. He said, you know, someday in your life, you'll be able to put a chair outside and you'll be able to sit down in that chair and be 100% content and fulfilled with every breath in your body. 
not needing to do a single thing more to feel completely full and to know that you as a living, breathing being are more than enough and you, you, you've really done it. My friend Brennan Burchard says, you know, there's a moment where you can confirm in your mind that you've lived fully, you love deeply, and you did something that mattered with your life. And, and you'll be able to sit there and feel fulfilled in that moment knowing, hey, if I were to die today, I'm good. Like I would just high five myself on the way out and say, well, life well lived. And so fulfillment to me is making sure that those boxes are all checked. And every day you can design your life in a way that you wake up and you give your all. And at the end of the day, you can say, hey, did I take the opportunities and live fully when life gave me the opportunities to grab life by the horns and really squeeze the juice out of it today? And it's like, yes. Did I love deeply? Did I open my heart and soul and pour every ounce of who I am into the people that mattered and the people I crossed paths with and obviously the ones I love dearly, but all the people? Yes. And, and did I do something that matters? Did I do something that will long outlive my physical presence on this planet today, knowing that if I were to die tomorrow, whoever I was on this planet will continue to ripple into people's lives and, and businesses and in some way, shape or form, help them have a little better life than before I, I crossed paths with them. That's just so beautiful. I ask that question to every guest that comes on and I don't like to rate because I, I, there's just so much value in every single person's perspective, but this one just resonates with every cell in my being. And it's, you know, it's always the simple things that feel so profound. And so, yeah, thank you for that. That's a gorgeous description. That is a life well led, my friend. And you're doing it, you are living it and demonstrating it and inspiring so many. And I'm super excited for your podcast launch and for all that you're up to. And obviously I will be following along to celebrate you, to acknowledge you, to salute you on your path of absolute greatness. And um, I'm very, very honored and grateful that you came on today. So thank you for your time. So very welcome. Oh, all right. Well, I hate to say goodbye, but um, you guys, I will make sure that his name is spelled correctly in the show notes and you will be able to be sure that you can follow along as well, because that's where it started for me. I had been following Jarek and then my friend Jocelyn said that she was going to be coming on this new podcast because she's just written this amazing book and she'll be on this podcast. And I just thought, oh my gosh, if I could get Jarek, this is what I was thinking. If I could get Jarek on here, my life would be made. And because I just knew you would give this, but I, you gave so much more than I could have dreamt of. So very, very grateful again. And thank you for your time. Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard today, please share it with a friend and you can head on over to iTunes to leave me a review. That would be so appreciated. And of course, if you'd like to reach me directly with any comments, questions, or feedback, you can do so at themindsetmashup.com. Thanks again for listening and I look forward to hearing from you.